remain standing. Take your Bibles, turn over to the book of Mark. Mark chapter number 2. It won't be long, but I want to share with you a thought that's on my heart. I wanted to give Brother Josh time to get his message out. I told him, I said, I can or I don't have to. I feel like God wants me to preach a little bit. Amen. But that was a tremendous thought. Amen. Mark chapter 2, verse number 1. And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. I'll preach for a few minutes on when Jesus is in the house. Lord, help us now, I pray, as we look at a couple things out of this passage of Scripture. Our hearts have already been challenged. Our hearts have already been stirred, Lord, by the message on Ananias and his willingness to be used. Lord, not much in the Bible about him, but Lord, he played an important role in welcoming one of the greatest preachers that's ever preached into the ministry. And Father, I pray that you'd help us take that message tonight and think about it and meditate on it as we leave. And now, as we turn our hearts to Mark chapter 2, touch this thought, this message, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Years ago, I preached uh, from this passage of Scripture. I don't remember when it was. That was a uh, long time ago. It's been a while since I looked at this passage. And as I was reading it again on yesterday, I uh, saw several things in this chapter that I wanted to uh, point out this evening. Let me begin by saying we need more churches that can testify to the fact that Jesus is in the house. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I've been to some churches. And I wanted to walk up on the platform and grab the microphone and say, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus has left the building. Because he wasn't there. He may have been there in the past. Some of you Elvis fans know what I'm talking about. He might have been there in the past, but he wasn't there anymore. I'm going to tell you, it's a sad state of affairs when Jesus is not welcome in his own house. But in this story right here, it was noised that he was in the house. Can I say this before I get started? If he's in the house, people will talk about it. If he's in the house, there will be noise. People's going to talk. People's going to say, hey, did you hear? Did you, hey, have you heard? Right over there in that house, Jesus is over there. Because there's a lot of people wants to see him. There's a lot of people interested in what he's got to say. The problem is they go a lot of places looking for him where they think he's going to be, but he's not there. He's not there. And I read that verse and it was noise that he was in the house. And I just want to reiterate tonight that I want it to be said of Calvary Baptist Church that Jesus is in the house. I want want him at my house too, by the way. Amen. I want him him at my house. I want people when when they walk by my house where I live in that subdivision, they see me and my family outside. I want them to know there's something different about our house. Amen. I want them to know there's something different about us. But when I was thinking about the fact that Jesus being in the house, I was thinking more specifically about the house of God as the church because, man, I'm telling you, it's sad. It's so sad, the state of affairs. And we're dealing with this on Wednesday nights. Somebody said, Preacher, why'd you preach to all them Egyptians on a Sunday morning? I said, because I'm preaching to the apostates on Wednesday night. Amen. I got to fit it in there somewhere. Man, we're living in the days of apostasy. Churches that used to be a beacon, churches that used to be a lighthouse, churches that used to set the standard have now fallen so far into apostasy it's unrecognizable. 
It's bad when men that went to Bible college 30, 40 years ago hate to tell anybody where they went. Because it ain't the same thing anymore. Come on now. You know what I'm talking about. It's changed so much. I'm grateful. Our church has been here for a while. I can't remember the exact number of years. Maybe one of you can help me. If Bill Kane was here, I know he'd be, he'd be, he'd be how long? 65 years. This church has been here. And I can't testify about the earlier years, but it's evident from what I've heard that this church was started out with door-to-door -door soul winning visitation. Amen. It what started out started out as one of those splits or one of those schisms, but it started out biblically with folks being saved. Down through the years, God's, God's hand has been working in his church through many dangers, toils, and snares. We have already come, but I believe tonight I can testify if I know anything at all about what I'm preaching about tonight, I believe Jesus is in the house. And I don't want him to ever not be here. When he's in the house, there's a sub, several things that will be an indication of that. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, when Jesus is in the house, the Savior will be the main attraction. Amen. The Bible says, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway, verse 2, many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. Why were they there? Why were people showing up? Why were the droves of people coming to this place? They came because it was noise that Jesus was in the house. It's interesting to me and it's important to me that Jesus have the preeminence in this place. We heard that word used quite a few times in the last couple of weeks about the preeminence. I think it was Brother Russell, if I'm not mistaken, preached on that on Sunday morning. If I got my messages and my dates right, I believe it was on that Sunday morning kicking off revival. He talked about being preeminent and of a Christ-centered Christianity. Unfortunately, a lot of places that used to exalt and magnify and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ have now become nothing more uh, than a showcase of man and man's abilities and man's talents. These people weren't showing up uh, for a preacher. Or they weren't showing up for a, 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 a man. They weren't showing up for a program. They weren't showing up for a performance. Come on now. Our churches have turned into, into theaters. If you're walking after a starch, you can't hardly find your chair because all the lights are off. It's dark in there. They, the platform looks like a stage with all the cutter lights and all the fog machines and, and the dance and drama teams and all the nonsense going on. People are coming to watch the show, coming to watch the production, coming to watch a performance. And it seems like in many places, Jesus is not the main attraction. But I'm telling you, when Jesus is in the house, you don't need all that other stuff. You don't have to prop up, you don't have to prop up the service when Jesus is there. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus was standing outside the door of the church at Laodicea. The church, he was standing outside. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. We use that verse evangelistically, and you can use it if you want to, but the context of that passage of Scripture is Jesus standing outside the door of the church at Laodicea trying to get in so he could come in and fellowship with the church. Church of Laodicea, that's the church age we're living in right now. We're living in the age where Jesus, in many cases, is outside the door trying to find a way to get in. Many places, Jesus once was the preeminent main attraction. He's been kicked out. The glory's been departed. The Spirit's no longer there, working and wooing 
I'm saying this evening, when Jesus is in the house, the Savior will be the attraction. Number two, when Jesus is in the house, the Scripture will be the authority. Look at what it says in verse 2. The Bible says, Straightway many were gathered together, and so much there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. The Scripture will be the authority when Jesus is in the house. And don't get me wrong, I enjoy singing. I love singing. If you come to my house, I got a baby grand piano in one end of my house. If you come in my office over here, I got another baby grand piano and guitars hanging on the wall. I love to sing and play music. Boy, I tell you, I appreciate the choir music. I appreciate the trio. I appreciate the young girls over here singing this evening. But can I tell you something? When Jesus is in the house, the emphasis will be on the preaching of the word of God. I have a problem with these churches. I have a 45-minute song service and about a 10-minute devotional at the end. Man, that's cockeyed. That's backwards. Down south of where we're at, there's a terrible, terrible fad. It's been around for a long time. Oh, we had such a wonderful service. It was such a great service. The preacher didn't get to preach. Man, I like preaching. That's like saying we had such a delicious meal, we didn't even get to eat. We had such a great meal, we didn't even get to eat. We had such a great service, we didn't, the preacher didn't get to preach. The Bible says that he's exalted his word above his name. And he has a name that's above every name. I don't think you can exalt the word of God too much. The scriptures will be the authority. Notice his activity. The Bible's clear what happened after the house filled up with people. He preached. That's what he did. For some reason, people today don't have much of an appetite for preaching. They prefer a motivational speech. They prefer a life coach. We, want one of those, we, we need a life coach. A life coach. No, you need preaching. That's what you need is preaching. I'm grateful that this church I can preach what God lays on my heart. Well, if I preach what I preach here this morning at a lot of places, they would choke. And I would choke trying to get it out. I'm telling you. I mean, for, for a visiting evangelist to come in and say, you can tell your people's used to preaching. That's a compliment to you and to me. I mean, when your preacher comes in and he's got liberty to preach, that means he's in a place where the scripture is used to being the authority and people want preaching, preaching the word. Second Timothy 4, 3 says, the time will come and they will not endure sound doctrine. They will heap to themselves teachers. You can find a bunch of them on YouTube. Teachers. There's a difference in preaching and teaching. Amen. Teaching will inform and educate. Teaching's very good. I, I love teaching, and I don't want a problem with teaching. But there's a difference in teaching and preaching. Preaching is when God backs you up in a corner and makes you make a decision about whether or not you're going to do what the Bible says. That's what preaching does. That, that's, that's Holy Ghost twisting your arm. That's why some people don't like it. But we need it. I need it. Isn't it strange how the many churches that were started with preaching, after they start growing, they stop preaching and start teaching? That's exactly right. Amen. Blows my mind how a man can build a ministry preaching, and then when he gets it full of people, he decides they don't, they don't need to preach, they need to teach to keep what's there. That's right. That don't make sense to me. Amen. Many preachers that once used to preach now teach. Right. Amen. Qualification of the bishop is that they be apt to teach, but they're called to preach. Amen. 
God sent Jonah to Nineveh to preach. Jonah 3, 2, rise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach into it the preaching that I bid thee. That's what God told Jonah to do when he got to Nineveh, preach. Amen, that was Old Testament. John the Baptist was a preacher. Matthew chapter three, verse number one, in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea. By the way, they came out of the woodwork to hear John the Baptist. Jesus said, what'd you expect to come out here and find? A reed blowing in the wind, shaking in the wind. What'd you expect to find? He's a Holy Ghost anointed preacher. Jesus was a preacher. Matthew 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven's at hand. Jesus was a preacher. He was a teacher too. Many times he would teach, but sometimes he'd preach. Jesus made preaching the center of the great commission. Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Acts chapter eight, verse 12, Philip was a preacher and then they believed. And when they believed, Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God. In the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Paul the apostle was a preacher. Is everybody still with me? 2 Timothy 4, 17, notwithstanding, he said, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. So we didn't see Jesus' activity was preaching, but I love his authority. He wasn't just preaching, he was preaching the word. Preaching the word, amen. I was talking with Brother uh, Josh in, the, in my office before the service. And I said, I watched a lot of young preachers starting out try to imitate somebody, try to impersonate somebody, try to focus on their mannerisms or their style or their delivery. I said, you just get along with God, get a message from the scriptures, let it burn on your heart and you get up and you share that message with God's people. I said, I promise you, if you'll do that, God will use you to make a difference because the word of God is what gets the job done. I've seen preachers before, and you're more distracted by their antics than you were by what they were saying. More distracted by their delivery and their style and, and their charisma and all these things, but the focus needs to be the Word of God. When Jesus is in the house, the Scripture will be the authority. He preached the Word unto them. That's what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 2 to do. Preach the Word. They ain't gonna like it. They're not gonna want it. Many times they'll close their Bible and turn you off. If they're older, they'll just turn their hearing aids off. I've seen them do that before. Just take their finger and just do that right there. Turn the hearing aid off. They don't want to hear it. That's fine. Preach the word. Be just an in season and out of season. Preach when they like it and preach when they don't. Let the word of God be exalted. Preach the word. That parable of the sower in Matthew 13, that parable of the sower and the seed, when he gives a translation, when he gives the interpretation of it, it's all about the word. And I know the word sometimes falls on bad soil. Sometimes it falls on stony ground. Sometimes it falls on the, on the highways. And the, sometimes it falls on the thorn in the thorns and the thistles. But every now and then, God lets some fall on good soil. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for diminishing the word of God with their religion. In Mark 7, 13, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition which you've delivered. I was, it's sad to me that there's a lot of people today who've made the word of God of none effect through their traditions, through their rigmaroles and their rituals and all their religion and all their practices. They have minimized, and nullified, and made the word of God of none effect. You know, you've got you to gotta be pretty, pretty sorry to make something as amazing as the word of God of none effect. I'm talking about something that's sharper than any two-edged sword. When you take something that sharp 
and make it of none effect. That's sad. Come on now. Number three, write this down. When Jesus is in the house, the sick will be attended. Look at verse three and verse four. And they come unto him bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. I like that passage of scripture. Some of y'all may or may not know this, but we have a follow-up program here at the church. First-time guests come in, fill out a connection card, turn it in back at the Welcome Center. We give them a little coffee cup, give them a little book on Calvary that I wrote years ago. It's got the plan of salvation, the gospel message in it. But on the back of that connection card is a born of four follow-up plan. We have a strategy by which we go after people that God gave me birthed out of verse number three. There was four men bringing one man to Jesus. Four men on every corner. Bottom line is, bottom line is, there was four of them because they didn't want to drop him. Huh? So we have a four-pronged approach to go after every first-time guest at Calvary Baptist Church because we don't want them to fall through the cracks. But the point I want to make this evening is when Jesus is in the house, folks that are sick will be attended. I'm glad, I'm glad that this place is a hospital. A hospital. Can I say it tonight? God's interested in sick people. But God doesn't pet and pamper sick people. God doesn't bolster the confidence of sick people. He doesn't justify or defend the sickness of sick people. Jesus heals sick people. Jesus eradicates the sickness of sick people. He touches them and he heals them. He doesn't turn the sick people away, but he doesn't send them back home like they came. You might hear us sing just as I am, but you won't ever hear us sing just like I was. Because I believe in a change. Amen. God doesn't cast out sick people, he cleanses them. He doesn't make sick people comfortable. He makes sick people better. Amen. Sick people never got in the presence of Jesus Christ and left the way they were when they got there. Are y'all getting this? Deaf people that showed up where Jesus was left hearing. Blind people that showed up where Jesus was left seeing. Dumb people that showed up where Jesus was Left the Democrat Party. I mean, they left speaking. I'm sorry, that just slipped out right there. Lepers left cleansed. Crippled and lame people left walking. Are y'all getting this? You know, Jesus is in the house because sick people will be attended. I'm grateful for a place where sick people can come. Talking about people that are all fouled up. Devils chewed them up and spit them out. They're welcome at Calvary Baptist Church. I think it was Brother Bailey, they were here with us for several services. We were sitting around the table the other night at the restaurant. He said, you know what I like about your church? I said, what? He said, you can tell when you walk in the door, you've got new converts in the church. You can just tell. You've got people that's been saved a while, and you've got people that just got saved, and you can tell there's people in there that hadn't got saved yet. He said, I like that. Amen. 
Imagine walking to a hospital and everybody's in there doing backflips and, and playing, playing <laughs> hopscotch. You go, man, where's all the sick people? Oh, we don't let no sick folks in here. We're afraid they're going to get blood on the floor. We're afraid they're going to tear something up. Hey, I'm glad sick people can come here. Amen. When Jesus is in the house, the sick will be addressed. Number four, when Jesus is in the house, the sin will be addressed. Look at verse number five. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. What about that? When he saw the sick of the palsy, here's a man that's so crippled and withered up, he can't walk. He's on a bed and four men's carrying him and they lowered them through the ceiling. They tore the ceiling, tore the roof off and lowered him right in the middle of the room. And, they saw, and Jesus saw this man all withered up and crippled laying in the bed. And you know what he said? Let's talk about your sin problem. <laughs> Let's talk about your sin problem. What are you saying? I'm saying we have folks coming here that's got addictions. They're hooked on everything there is to be hooked on. They've been, they've been, they've been run through the ringer. All kinds of problems. I'm talking about sick. All kinds of problems. But can I tell you what their biggest problem is? Sin. I love the way Brother Billy Ingram says it. It's so simple, so, so profound. He said, sin is the problem, Jesus is the answer. You can't make it any plainer than that. Sin is the problem. Jesus is the answer. And when Jesus is in the house, sin will be addressed. Jesus don't look over sin when he's in the house. Well, we live in a day and age where you just don't talk about it. The word on the street today is you can't preach on sin and build a church. I don't know how you build a biblical church and not preach on sin because the first step to getting somebody saved is you gotta get them lost. And to get them lost, you gotta tell them that they're a sinner. It's the first thing you gotta do to get them saved is talk about the sin problem. We got churches today just popping up everywhere. Storefronts and, and shopping centers everywhere. There's churches popping up overnight. They got the website, they got the drama team, they got the worship leader, but people never de deal with the sin problem. Word on the street says you can't preach on sin and build a church. Word of God says you can't build a church without preaching on sin. Jesus has the power to forgive sin. He also has the power to find sin. The, sin of, the sick of the palsy had an obvious problem. He was crippled. Jesus was able to look past the crippled, withered, physical state of that man and see his real problem, the bigger need, and that was he needed forgiveness of sin. So many people are focusing on the peripheral, focusing on the ripple effect. They don't deal with the problem. Problem sin. Marriage counseling, spend, just spend hours in marriage counseling. First thing you do in a marriage counseling session is find out if they're saved or not. Let's start there. Jesus saw the bigger need, forgiveness of sins. Mark it down when Jesus is in the house. He will always address the sin problem. Many places today are missing his presence because they don't want the sin issue addressed. There's a list of words You'll never hear Joel Osteen use. They're not, they're not, they don't tickle. I don't know any other way to say it, they don't tickle. If that crippled man, is everybody still with me? If that crippled man in verse number five had been in the average Baptist church, 
When Jesus said, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee, here's what he would have said. This is what verse 6 would read like if he was in the average church today. And he, being sick of the palsy, said unto Jesus, Who art thou that judgest another? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart, and above all things have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. That's what verse 6 would have said if he'd been in the average Baptist church. Thy sins be forgiven. He'd have got all defensive and blew Jesus out right in front of everybody for pointing out his sin problem. <laughs> but when Jesus is in the house, he addresses the sin problem. And I think it's interesting that the sin being brought up in verse number five actually took over the conversation all the way through verse number 10. It just completely derailed the whole service. Oh, he's going there. You're going there. Oh, you want to go there. Forget the fact they just tore the man's roof up. Now we've got to call a roofer. Forget the fact they tore the drywall out of the ceiling. They've got to call a drywall man. Forget the fact that this man's laying here. He's interrupted this whole service. He's all withered up. Can't even walk. Now you want to talk about sin? Yeah. Let's get to the root of the matter. I'm amazed that we want, to talk, we want to have revival, but we don't want to talk about sin. We want God's presence in our life, but we don't want to talk about sin. Brother Joshua's talked about an Ananias was devout. He was devout. That means he walked with God. He said that. God used him because he was walking right, living right, doing right. You want God to tap you on the shoulder for something? You're going to have to be, you're going to have to be clean. And the whole world, everybody's trying to defile us. Everybody. The minute you walk out any of these doors, the world, the devil, and everybody is trying to defile you. Amen. And every time you come to church, we need God to help us wash our feet. Come on now. Number five, I'm done. When Jesus is in the house, the skeptics will be amazed. I love it. Verse number, verse number eight, immediately. Oh, they said, why did, why did this man thus speak blasphemy? Verse seven, who can forgive sins but God only? Who does he think he is? Immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, why reason you these things in your hearts? Well, imagine what that must have felt like when he just looked right at them and said, why are you thinking what you're thinking? I know what you're thinking. And then told them what they were thinking. That had to be a little bit, little bit unnerving. Imagine the preacher preaching up here in the pulpit and just single you out right in the middle of the service and say, I know what you're thinking, and then out loud tell everybody exactly what you're thinking. That'd be a little bit unnerving. Yeah. There wouldn't have just been a hole in the ceiling that had been in the, one in the wall. I'd have, took, I'd, I'd have crawled out of there somehow, some way, before he got to telling too much. Come on now. They were amazed at his perception, verse 8. The Bible says he perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned with themselves. He didn't avoid the issue, didn't dance around the issue. He didn't concern himself with trying to win them over. He wasn't lobbying for another meeting. He wasn't worried about a love offering. He just got right down to the nitty gritty. They were amazed at his perception. They were amazed, verse 10 through 12, at his power. He said, Verse 9, whether it's easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise and take up thy bed and walk. 
but thou may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the sick of the palsy, I say to thee, arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. In verse number five, he said, your sins be forgiven you. In verse number uh, nine and 10, he says, which you think is the hardest? Which one do you think is more difficult for me to tell him that his sins are forgiven or that he can rise up and walk? How about if we just do both of them? <laughs> How about if we take care of both of them? How about we address the sin issue and the sickness issue? How about we just take care of everything right here, right now in one church service? Rise, take up thy bed and go thy way into thine house. Verse 12, and immediately arose, took up the bed and went forth before them all. I'd love to see that. Here's four men had to carry me. Here's four men had to carry him to the house, had to lower him through the roof. He gets up off the bed, takes it, rolls it up, throws it up on his shoulder, walks out the door. Could you imagine being in that service? Took up the bed and went forth before them all, insomuch they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. Never seen. Down south in Georgia, we'd say like this, I ain't never in all my born days seen nothing like that. <laughs> have you ever in all your born days seen anything at all like that right there? They, we have never seen it like this. Well, you see all kind of neat stuff when Jesus is in the house. That's one reason why I hate to miss a service at this place because you don't know what you're going to miss. When Jesus is in the house, he does all kind of neat stuff. I've told y'all before, I don't think some of y'all believe me. I don't believe, I don't believe you believe, I don't believe you know how much God does around here. If we stood up here and just read it off of a piece of paper, it'd take up too much of the service of the stuff that God's doing in people's hearts and lives in this church. It's unbelievable. I'm privileged because I get the emails. I get the text messages. I get them to come up to me after the service with tears in their face. The preacher ain't gonna believe this. I walked in here tonight thinking this and you preached on this and God helped me with this and I was here and now God's doing this and I was struggling with this and God's giving me victory over this and I've been praying about this. and It's unbelievable what God's doing. We've had a few skeptics come here. I don't know about all this. And walk out shaking her head. Saying, I, I, God's there. God's working. I mean, God does big stuff when he's in the house. Could you imagine going to church where God wasn't in the house? Mm-mm. I wanted a night with heads bowed and eyes closed. There might be somebody who might want to just get an altar tonight and ask God. Ask God if he would to please Never leave this place. God is transforming lives. God is softening hardened hearts. God is tenderizing calloused hearts. God is warming cold hearts. God is saving lost people. God's given people that.